Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analyst, the only podcast that covers its hosts in baby oil before recording. My name is Cameron McDonald and I've spent the last three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host Rupert Meadows has written and broadcasted about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Give Me Sport. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. It's been a busy week for off-the-pitch occurrences, with England's World Cup bid for 2030 on the horizon, in tandem with suggestions that the Euros might be held here entirely, as well as a look at certain comments from Luke Shaw following United's game against Chelsea. As always, the timestamps for our segments are in the description, and let's start with a look at what is happening in Barcelona at the moment. Yeah, so Barcelona is just a maelstrom of trouble at the moment. Um, Obviously, we talked a few weeks ago about the issue with Lionel Messi's contract being leaked, and it's still unsure by who that was leaked by. Obviously, their finances are in a mess, and that was also linked into the Messi thing. Messi might be leaving in a couple of months. So things already at Barcelona are an absolute mess. Uh, And then on Sunday, it came out that uh, Jose Maria Bartomeu, who everyone remembers, the former Barcelona president that left following the altercation with Lionel Messi, was arrested by Catalan police. Um, As well as Bartomeu, Barcelona's current CEO, Oscar Grau, Barcelona's head of legal, Roman Gomez-Ponti, and Bartomeu's former chief of staff, Jaime Masferia, uh, were all arrested as well. Um, And... It was just one of those things. It, it was massive, massive scandal. Obviously, seeing a coordinated arrest of this size is always not a good news for the company. It happens at the police also raided the the new camp, and they also searched the homes of the detainees as well as the Barcelona offices of the company I Three Ventures, who are going to be a major player here. Um, so I think what we've got to do here is just answer the first question that I think will come to everyone's minds with this, if you're coming into it cold, or even if you know a little bit about what's happening with Barca at the moment, which is just what the hell is going on. Um, and this is now being referred to as Barcagate, or, or more specifically, a response to Barcagate. Uh, and, and this is what Bartomeu has been arrested for, and all these other people have been arrested for. Uh, and to put it in very simple terms, this all started all the way back in 2017. Uh, and back then, Barcelona hired a company called I3 Ventures, which is the one I mentioned earlier, uh, and a connected company to them called NS Group, who are also known as NiceStream. So those are the names to, to look out for if you hear those. This is what it's in connection to. Uh, and the reason they hired them was to improve their social media usage and reputation, which is not anything novel, really. It's something we see all the time with clubs, uh, from big clubs especially and especially in the last few years. United very notably employed the Indian digital firm HCL a couple of years ago to assist their entry into using things like Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and, and obviously, all these big football clubs are vying against each other to be the biggest social media presence. Like the digital classico is something that people might be familiar with, which is Real Madrid and Barca racing to see who will be the first to get 100 million followers on Instagram. Um, so it, it's not really that notable that they hired a firm to improve their social media usage. Um, however, in February of last year, a Spanish radio station, La Cadena, made the claim that the firms hired by Barcelona were using troll accounts to attack the reputations of those considered enemies of Bartomeu and, and his hierarchy at Barcelona. So you might look at that at first and go, okay, that's underhanded, and I guess depending on where you are, it could be illegal or it could just be a bit shady, but maybe it's just them posting you know, tweets about Sergio Ramos. Where it gets weird is that the troll, the troll comments were directed at people connected to the club. So this ranged from club legends like Pep Guardiola, Carlos Puyol and Xavi, to even current players still at the club like Jared Piquet and of course Lionel Messi. Yeah, and, and it's just 
such a bizarre thing to be coming out, uh, especially just with what's going on at the moment, which we've covered, which is the build up to the elections, which are happening next week, still ongoing, apparently bizarre mm-hmm. to me that I've heard nothing about them, you know, maybe being postponed as a result of these arrests made made this week. Um, but it's it's just a a mad smear campaign that um, is all coming out um, against these these key figures within the club. Um, the club have released an independent audit report showing there'd been no wrongdoing. This was kind of last year. Um, and it's now coming out that, you know, all of this stuff was was taking place. Yeah, and, and it's good that you mentioned the um, presidential elections, which are happening on Sunday, and the announcements of, of whose one will be revealed later on, because another one of the targets of the trolling thing was um, Victor Font, who is one of the presidential candidates. Um, and it is interesting because, yes, this came out in February, and the firms vehemently denied the allegations, and Barcelona themselves said that there was nothing of the sort happening. But six board members from Barcelona resigned for as yet unexplained reasons in April. So that was sort of like, uh, okay. And a former Barcelona director spoke to a few publications and said the exact nature of the contracts with these social media consultants was deliberately hidden um, from oversight by relevant committees. And what that means, basically, is that it's not illegal under Spanish law to you know create these twitter accounts and troll your own players bizarre though it may be it's not you know to do that it's not actually illegal in and of itself so why have they been arrested well the reason for that is that Bartomeu has been structuring payments to these um organizations as well as allegedly some other organizations to sort of avoid um triggering the automatic oversight committees that barcelona would have so if he spent uh, spends a certain amount of money they were paying this company about a million euros a year if they'd been signing individual contracts year on year there would have been like an automatic um committee that would have to look into it instead uh, an independent investigation by pwc in july found that barcelona had deliberately not followed protocols for internal validation because they'd used multiple smaller contracts instead of one large one in order to avoid triggering the oversight um so it is interesting to look at how, you know, Barcelona already in a little bit of financial turmoil are now getting, you know, audited by the, the Spanish police. There's financial issues going on. All the documents have been seized. More stuff might yet come to light. There might be another sort of contract, not leak per se, but things being published that elucidate uh, that situation a little bit more. Um, and it is very interesting that, um, you know, this election's coming up because, all of the three main candidates is now down to the three final candidates. Juan Laporta, who was uh, Barcelona president between 2003 and 2010, I think. Um, Victor Font, the, the aforementioned guy who was targeted here, and Tony Frazier. And it's interesting because they've all responded in very different ways. Uh, Font responded by retweeting a message uh, saying just, we must completely end this corruption. It, it kills the meritocracy. Laporta was surprised about the news of the arrest while he was doing a live radio interview, which is quite funny. Um, and he sort of came out and similarly said, no, it's not good for Barca. This is not nice to hear. Um, we lament these acts which reflect so negatively on the image and reputation of our club. And then Frazier, who was a close colleague of Bartomeu's, came out and went, too many people want to do damage to Barca. We will not allow that. That you'll never walk alone. And a lot of people have been like, who is he Who is he saying you'll never walk alone to here? Barcelona or Bartomeu and, and co? Um, and people have suggested that it's almost a very convenient time for this news to come out, a week before the elections. Definitely. And, and not just that. I also, reading and learning more about it, was a little sceptical about the timeliness of finding out about it live on radio 
that mm. to me just seems a little bit too coincidental for my liking. And, you know, as soon as I was reading the Sky Sports coverage of it and it, it had kind of lengthy quotes from Juan Laporta and he's a presidential candidate and immediately my cogs are taking and I'm thinking this guy is saying what he wants for politics, not what he... He's not representing necessarily the best interests of the club still. There's just so much at work here that it's almost impossible to to, to work out who's got what agenda. Um, I mean, my heart goes out to, I think, the uh, the only pl- person that has just seemed to kind of arrived in the midst of all of this, which is Ronald Koeman. Yeah, I mean, as if he didn't have enough problems already. And it certainly is interesting to look at the fact that of the three candidates, both Laporta and Victor Font um, did take part in a vote of no confidence against Bartomeu when he was the president. So it's clear that they weren't exactly the biggest fans of his. Laporta is now the front runner for the presidential race. Has this all fallen in his lap very conveniently? Maybe, <laughs> but there could be other forces at play. What is for sure is that political, you know, machinations aside, it's just not a great thing to be happening to Barcelona at the moment. All of this is coming for them with, as we mentioned, Lionel Messi's contract running down. They've just lost 4-1 to PSG in the Champions League, although we've enjoyed a remontada or two from them uh, in recent years. And they're also five points off the top with a game more than uh, Atletico Madrid have played. So it's kind of a shocking situation. The only potential positive is maybe now with his, you know, his arch enemy arrested, Messi will just play out of his mind for the rest of the season. Well, maybe. I mean, um, the the kind of piece of mild irony that I enjoyed as I as I watched all of this was just that this whole, this mentality of kind of targeting your own players and smear campaigns and stuff, that's exactly the kind of thing that if, if someone like Jose Mourinho was accused of it, I'd be like, this is classic. Um, you know, this is such like siege mentality stuff. He's trying to, you know, pit people against him so that they can then rise above it and, and you know, feel like they are fighting against the world. Um, obviously, you know, Josie Mourinho famously uh, managed the, the club that sits opposite Barcelona, Real Madrid, in, in a lot of their title races. So just just a strange thing extra that, that I kind of felt while reading about it yeah very strange although I would say like the thing with Mourinho doing something like if, if Mourinho did something like that you would assume and it probably would come out probably take credit for it that it was to the ends of improving his players whereas this doesn't seem to have been that at all partly oh, because yeah, they were no, criticizing definitely. not just players but also other presidential candidates or potential presidential candidates at the time and um and people like Guardiola and Xavi who weren't even involved with the club anymore it just seems really weird for Bartomeu, who's clearly just some mad egotist, to hire a company to, amongst other things, discredit the players that currently are employed by you. It just seems so, like, such a weird, over-the-top way to go about things. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of thousands of pounds on people like Messi and, and Piquet and, and Xavi and, and players like that. So, yeah, just, just completely bizarre. And it's just so unbelievably unprofessional i mean it seems stupid to even say it but you know you hear of i guess bored unrest at clubs like charlton last year or like rangers of seven eight years ago but this just takes it to a whole new level uh just with the the infighting and the politics and the games that literally every single person in in this kind of chess match seem to be playing um and yeah just just mad 
Absolutely. It, it, it really is. Just like the audacity to do it as well. Because surely he didn't think he'd get away with it forever at some point or another. Maybe the the fact that it's surfaced now is quite fortuitous in terms of like relative to the election. But surely he didn't think that he was going to get away with trolling Messi on Twitter <laughs> forever. Eventually that was going to surface. And then everyone just knows what kind of person you are. Well, not, not even Machiavelli and like a step below that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's no genius component to it, definitely. Um, I think the only thing that I'll say is that, and this might be me with my tinfoil hat on, but I do kind of feel like every time you hear a story like this, it kind of feels like the tip of an iceberg. Every time I hear a news story about, you know, a club like Chelsea or Man City tapping up hundreds of, of young players or breaking like contract regulations and signing them, things like that, like speaking to... You know, all of that kind of stuff. I, I just always feel like what comes out is just a small fraction of what actually goes on at all of these top clubs. So I almost would, would flip it on its head and say, I feel like there's a good chance the, the reason why this has come out now is purely because of the elections and forces working within the club to expose it for their political gain. And it's probably something that he might well have felt like he was going to get away with because people probably get away with this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, very possibly. And I think it's one of those things, much like the the Messi contract story itself, that it's only going to keep developing. It's good to touch in on it now because it's just happened. It's fresh. It's one of the most bizarre things. Uh, definitely, I remember reading about the game in a long time, just the fact that <laughs> police turned up at Bartomeu's house to arrest him. Um, but yeah, one that I'm sure we haven't seen the end of and we'll be touching back on uh, later on. Oh, definitely, definitely a... Uh a pinch-punch start to the month of March for Barcelona, uh, and more to follow as it unfolds. Uh, let's move on to Guessing Game this week, which is uh, my turn. Forward to it. I've, I'm quite excited, as I've already expressed to you off mic, for your clues this week. I think uh, you're going to have a good time with it. I have okay. three clues for you, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is that this player is the first player ever to have played for the England national team without having ever lived in the UK. Interesting, okay. So when he, when he had his debut for England, he had never once um, lived in the UK. I think just off the back of that, I, ha- I have a, maybe a small idea, but I might be wrong about the, where this player, because I know they didn't live in the UK for a while, but, but anyway. You might well, you might well. Um, in his first season in English top flight, he won the Premier League and the Champions League. Okay. And I'm going to give you four players. Okay. And here's where it gets fun. Three of them he played with at club level. One of them he played with um, for the national team. Okay. So those players are James Milner. Mm-hmm. Danny Welbeck. Yep. Michael Owen. Okay. And Ashley Cole. 
Okay, I, I have a, a a decent idea. I mean, the fact that they they won the double in their first season is it narrows it down a fair bit. Um, but I, I will I will let that one settle. Um, uh, next is a story that we are getting from the clash between Chelsea and Manchester United that took place over the weekend. Uh, the game itself was a nil nil, but not devoid of controversy. Um, the incident in question this time concerns uh, a little bit of a passage of play where Callum Hudson-Odoi appeared to handle the ball and a penalty wasn't given. There was a VAR went in, uh, Stuart Atwell went to the monitor and decided not to give the penalty. Um, and usually I think the discussion that you and I would have as we'd sort of debate back and forth whether we thought it was a penalty, whether handball rulings are still making as much sense as they used to. Um, but I think this time there's an even more interesting topic of debate, which is whether the referee thought it was a penalty or not. Um, usually we have a pretty firm answer on that in as much that when a referee gives a penalty, it's a pretty, you know, you imagine he thinks it's a penalty and vice versa, since, you know, they're meant to be the, the final say. Um, but this time there's been a little bit of doubt sown that that's the case coming from Luke Shaw. And he came out in the post-match interview um, and said words to these effect. He said, at the time I saw a handball, I didn't know whether it was Mason Greenwood or Callum Hudson-Odoi. I just carried on. I didn't even know there was a potential check. I don't know why they stopped the game if it wasn't going to be a pen. The ref even said to H, that's Harry Maguire, I heard him say, if it, if I say it's a pen, then it's going to cause a lot of talk about it after, so I don't know what happened there. So Luke Shaw basically is claiming that Stuart Atwell considered it a penalty, but then chose retroactively to not give it as a penalty because he thought there'd be controversy after the game um, if, if, he, if he made that decision, which is, to put it lightly, a massive allegation. Yeah, and, and that's definitely... He's not out and out said that, you know, the ref definitely thought it was a pen, but chose not to give it. Um, but, you know, the, it's very, very heavily implied. Yeah, the, um, the, the lines are there. You can, you can read between them. Exactly. And it's, I mean, is this a new low? I think it might be. Um, which is, you know, if you told me last week we were going to hit one, I, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, just completely mad and... I feel like the most important thing, let's let's keep going. So Manchester United since then have come out and said that it's not um, Luke Shaw misheard. He heard mm-hmm. incorrectly. And that was not, in fact, what Stuart Atwell told Harry Maguire. Um, that is all that we've heard so far. Just that, you know, Manchester United have come out and said, no, we made a mistake. Sorry, shuffle back into the... Referees, good books, please. Um, and that, again, also feels like there, there's layers of tactic to, to what Manchester United are doing if it's not sincere. Could be sincere. It could just be, you know, after Harry Maguire was like, Luke, I did not say that. And then they talked to, you know, the higher-ups within the club, club release a statement. Or it could be Manchester United officials saying... You can't say things like that in in post match interviews, and you need to. We need to backtrack basically, um, because you know we the ref can't be seen to be saying things like that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it. I'm pretty torn on this. I feel like I, I don't. I'm not going to be able to come to a conclusion on on which of those two I think it is without further knowledge and without seeing how it it comes out more in in the coming weeks. Um, I'd be interested to see whether or not Luke Shaw himself comes out and says I made a mistake or if Harry Maguire comes out and says I made a mistake I would love to hear what Stuart Atwell has to say about it 
Um, but he is, as all referees are, um, hidden from the media. Um, but just just a really weird um, ep- episode, to be honest, um, and something that has completely marred what was, by all accounts, quite a, quite a dull game. Yeah, for sure. And I think the only thing I would add on to your comment there is I you, you said there were two possibilities here. I actually think there were there, there are three possibilities I would give. The first one is, you know, the official version, what we've been presented with as, you know, fans, people on the outside who who are weren't on the pitch and who are just getting what we see on on TV and on Twitter and all that. And that's that Luke Shaw genuinely misheard Stuart Atwell and United have now offered apologies to try and avoid a fine or a ban or or reduce the severity of any punishment doled out. Um, the second is the version where the refs are up to no good. Um, and that would be where Luke Shaw did hear correctly. Stuart Abwell did say this, but now the FA are sort of trying to sweep it under the carpet and cover it up. And United are just offering apologies because they know, realistically, the way the FA and PG Mall work, Stuart Atwell's not going to get punished. It's never going to be conclusively proven because they won't, release the, they won't release the audio. So the best they can do here is just try and avoid negative bias from officials. Um, and the third version for me is the version where Luke Shaw is up to no good. Uh, and the idea that been tossed around uh, a little bit that maybe this is sort of like uh, when people put pressure on refs in one way this will sort of now cause refs to give less decisions against United like this in the future and seeds of doubts have been sown into their capability in United games and in much the same way where you know, for example, Mark Clattenburg didn't referee Everton for six years, I, be- I believe it was, after the club complained when they had two players sent off in a Merseyside derby. Luke Shaw, or, and, and you know, maybe it's not just Luke Shaw, maybe it's Ole, maybe whoever, is trying to sort of influence the way that if a referee gives a bad decision against them, they'll, they'll be like, oh God, I'm going to get banned. Um, and I think, for me, the one that I have the least, like, the, the one that I, I am least likely to believe is the one the, the official version that we have. And I think the reasoning for that is just that, firstly, it's the, it's the player who said it, and the kind of player. And I don't mean Luke Shaw specifically, but I mean Luke Shaw is 25 years old. He's been playing in the Premier League since 2012. He's English. He speaks the language. He, he understands the culture that we have here with officials. There's no real scope for misunderstanding the rules. And I just have a hard time believing that he would come out and say something this explosive if he wasn't certain like, to come out and say, like, oh, I think that maybe that could have been a penalty or something is one thing. But to, if you are not certain to make an allegation that explosive against a referee, I, I just don't believe it. If this, if this was a player who had arrived in January and maybe didn't speak in... Let's, if, if this was Ahmed Diallo and he'd come out and said this after the game, there's a million and one ways in my head I could go, well, no, maybe he's come from Italy, maybe the culture with referees is different there, so it, criticism is more overt, and oh, maybe he's, you know, so there's a language barrier thing, so he's trying to say what, he, what he's thinking, but it's sort of coming off, across a little bit clunkily. Luke Shaw knows what he's done here, he knows what the consequences are, and, it, you know, much like it matters to the player who said it, I also think it matters to the time it was said. Again, sometimes you might look at this and go, well, you know, heat of the moment these things happen after a game if this had been like a really exciting ball to the wall clash and it had been like a 93rd minute incident that had seen United win or lose the game then yeah I could maybe again believe okay Luke Shaw's just said something in the heat of the moment he was quite measured in in that post-match interview he even went on to say oh but it doesn't really matter because I don't think either team deserved the win so it wasn't like he was you know having a Charlie Austin fume session where he was kicking off because he felt robbed he came out he said something very deliberate in my opinion and, and said it quite immediately, and I don't think that there's any way that you can believe that he would have done that if he wasn't sure. He is sure. Um, I Sorry, I had to put that in there somewhere. Um, 
the uh, the reason why I disagree with you is because I think that's quite Machiavellian. I think that is like thinking several layers ahead and playing, you know, 3D chess while everyone's like 10 moves behind. I, I don't think Luke Shaw has it in him after playing 95 minutes of football to without direction from like without very specific direction from a, a targeted individual, someone like Ole to tell him to say exactly that I just and then be a really good actor in getting it across and being so nonchalant I I think that's that's a bit of a stretch to me what I would believe is that he thinks he heard the referee say something like that and what the referee was really saying was essentially to Harry Maguire it was on the fence and I knew it was going to be a game-changing moment so I decided to err on the side of caution and not give it. Um, and, and I think that that is borne out by the fact that it was a really tight decision. You know, pundits are coming out on both sides saying, I think it was a penalty, definitely it, within the rules of the game. A lot of other pundits are saying, not for me. I think the general uh, impression for me seems to be that five years ago it wouldn't have been a penalty, but probably in the letter of the law now, if you're really critically analysing it with like 10 minutes and and five angles rather than 30 seconds on pitch side with a lot of pressure to make a decision, you would probably give it. Um, but I, I do think it's sufficiently close that it really could have gone either way. And, and I'd be willing to believe that he, he decided to just go with the, you know, the, the safe option. I, yeah. I mean, uh, firstly, I think that's a problem in and of itself going for the safe over, over the you know necessarily Agreed. correct yeah. option. Uh, but but even just ignoring that, obviously there were those two possibilities. One is Luke Shaw being a bit Machiavelli- Machiavellian, and the other for me, which is maybe the more likely of the two. I know we've had a bash at refs lately on the podcast, but I think that's just because the refs this season, and particularly in the last few weeks, have been exceptionally poor. They've been outdoing themselves over and over. Um, you know, where's the issue here? And I think something that'll be really interesting and really telling in response to this will be what the FA do now. Because if the whole situation is really quickly swept under the carpet and and they quickly sort of try and go, oh, okay, Luke, a little slap on the wrist, don't do it again. That to me would suggest that maybe Luke Shaw did hear correctly. Whereas if they challenge the comments and fine him and there's a whole big deal made of it and he's banned for two games for referee dissent in the same way that, you know, Nuno is fined for saying stuff about Wolves earlier, then I'll be more sort of willing to go, okay, it could be one of the other two options. Um, it, it just, to me, the whole scenario, I, I, the the situation I'm least likely to believe, for me personally, maybe this is just my uh, my conspiracy theory that I'm that I'm jumping on board with. But I just Luke Shaw knows what happens when you do that, and he didn't say it with even the slightest hint of oh, got to be careful. He hasn't come out himself either to recant those uh, those statements. He's stuck. He's stuck with them for now. Anyway, he might might come out in a few days' time. But I just. The United making the statement as well, it very much smacked to me, and I guess this works either either way, but it very much smacked to me of not what Luke Shaw or Harry Maguire said, but the club being like, we need to make this our official stance. Um, and whether that's part of some big brain plot they have, or it's them just being like, you know what, the referees are going to bat their referees, there's no point us dying on this hill because we'll just lose out. Incidentally, there is one way that we could solve this case once and for all, and that's by releasing Stuart Atwell's audio. He has his audio. He, he There is a mic that records it, um, and the FA could clear it up in a minute by releasing that audio. Do you think they will? Because I don't. <laughs> I would be willing to put much money on, on them not doing that. And I, I can already hear 
there are arguments for why they wouldn't because it sets a dangerous precedent and all that. But yeah, I definitely, as you say, could could see that second option that, that you presented there, which is that, you know, Luke Shaw heard what he heard. He was correct. The referee said exactly that and made that decision for those reasons. Um, and, you know, in the, in the interview, he tried to be balanced because he was worried about getting a fine, but he, he didn't want to let it get swept under the rug. He wanted to, to shine a light on it. So, yeah, I, I am really interested to see how this one uh, comes out. Yeah, and it, it could go so many other ways. I think ultimately the way it will go is the way that seems to have been telegraphed by the, the sort of official news so far. Luke Shaw will probably shuffle out and, and either he won't say anything or he'll be forced to make some sort of ham-fisted apology and be like, oh, I thought, thought I heard something else. I would love personally, if he really believes that he said that, for him to just double down and release like a, an Instagram story where he goes, no, Stuart Apple was cheating. Let's, let's get to the bottom of this. A, because I'd love the drama and B, because if this sort of thing is happening which it's not proof that it's happening that Luke Shaw said it is, but it is a, a little bit of a suggestion that he, even if he thinks he heard that and he's been confident enough to come out and say it, I, I want to see this investigated more. Even if it comes out that Stuart Abel didn't say anything bad, just look at it. Something like this, you can't have that much of an allegation and then not be a good hard look at it in a perfect world anyway. And I don't think we will get a good hard look at it in uh, in PG Mole's world. Well, I mean, you would, you would definitely think so, but... Stranger things have happened, is all I will say. Uh, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was just kind of... It went quietly into the night and Luke Shaw didn't post anything because he'd been told by Manchester United that he couldn't. Um, and, yeah, it, it kind of went the way of, of a lot of the uh, Premier League and referee problems this season. Um, let's move on to some words that have a little less weight and do some useless trivia. Yep, and I've got some very useless trivia indeed about the definition. It's linked to what we were Wonderful. just talking about, um, but this is more of the on-the-pitch stuff. Uh, Chelsea and United finished off with another nil-nil. Of course, they had a nil-nil in the reverse fixture earlier this season. Uh, and Chelsea have found it really, really hard to score against United in the league recently. Uh, in fact, they've now failed to score in four consecutive Premier League games against United, despite attempting 59 shots in that time period. This is the longest run they've had of failing to score in consecutive top-flight games against the side since April 23rd, 1960, where for the fourth game in a row, they were kept out by Bolton Wanderers. Um, so I was looking at that, I saw that stat, and I was like, that's crazy, Bolton must have been really good then. So I had a look at the league table that season and how Bolton were doing and where they finished, and unfortunately, they weren't even the best Lancashire-based Lancashire B-side that season. Uh, they finished in the top sixth, but it was sixth. Uh, but the team that won the league was none other than Burnley FC. Well, there you go. <laughs> Very useless uh, trivia about Lancashire B-sides, but I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> Just look funny out the year that Burnley won. Yeah, fair play. That is, uh, that is very nice, very useless. I enjoyed it. It's um, one I'll use in the future for sure. Um, my one is also similarly useless, I hope. Um, and it is related to goalkeepers in the Premier League. Um, I was looking through some statistics on the Premier League website and I was interested to note that um, Ben Foster has had the most shots of any goalkeeper ever in the Premier League with three <laughs> and is also the only goalkeeper to have missed what the Premier League classes as a big chance. Um, similarly, uh, and this is in no way a bad joke. Again, this is a statistic. Petr Cech is the only goalkeeper to have ever hit the woodwork. 
Are you sure that that wasn't manufactured? <laughs> I'm quite sure. But, I mean, if it is, then that's that's cold from the prem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, shall we look at something very light to finish us off, um, which is looking at England as a whole and England potentially hosting the Euros. Um, this is a story that is sort of... It's been speculated on since November. It's coming back again because, obviously, at the moment, things are changing so quickly. But the 2020 Euros, uh, which obviously now are happening this summer in 2021, uh, were originally planned to be played across 12 different nations. Uh, as sort of like... Um, a commemoration is the 60th anniversary of the of the year, so they thought it'd be a nice way to sort of involve all of Europe. Uh, and those nations were Azerbaijan, Denmark, England, Germany, Hungary, Italy, the Netherlands, the Republic of Ireland, Romania, Russia, Scotland, and Spain. Uh, and officially, they all still are. But there has been the suggestion that due to England's relative progress with the vaccine rollout, the format could be changed to see all of the games held in England. Um, already, England has a really big role in the upcoming Euros. Wembley Stadium uh, is going to be the venue of both the semi-finals and the finals, as it's the largest capacity stadium uh, that's been entered into rotation. Uh, and it'll also be hosting all of England's group games. Uh, whilst UEFA and the FA have come out and said the plans haven't changed at present, host cities will have until April the 5th, so just over a month from now, to confirm their plans um, regarding sort of fans being able to go to games and things of that nature. So we could see just over a month from now if this is going to come to fruition, because that's when the deadline is. Definitely, and I am so excited about this. I would love to to get more football being played, more international football played on, on our home soil um it's yeah really exciting um and the other thing to note is that um the the government has also kind of said that they are backing a joint bid for the 2030 world cup with england scotland wales northern ireland and republic of ireland um so all five national associations uh will be joining in for the pledge so yeah a, a lot of a lot of excitement to to be had in the next couple coming weeks, um, some nice statistics coming out that uh, not statistics, but um, moments. It's going to be kind of right around the time when pubs are reopening, um, and for, for good, and and alcohol is coming back to England as well. So, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, no, it definitely will be, and I think if we're trying to put a, like a how likely is this thing to happen on it? How, I mean, how how likely? Um, We've had some good support from people in this country. Gareth Southgate has come out and said he believes England will be well placed to host the tournament. Um, Boris Johnson, obviously the, the Prime Minister of this country, uh, claims that the UK have made offers to UEFA in order to host it. So there's been some official things, even though the FA themselves have said, you know, the plans haven't changed. The, the UK government are trying to get those crowds over here. Um, there are a couple of obstacles to the switch, so you've got to acknowledge those. Um Obviously, the first and foremost thing that UEFA are going to be concerned about is money. Uh, and if they do switch it to being hosted entirely in England, they'll have to just compensate all the host nations that are now no longer hosting because they've already sort of made preparations. That'll be millions and millions of pounds. Um, and already UEFA will have lost a lot of money having to refund millions of pounds in ticket money to fans unable to attend games. Um, the thing is, though, is that England is, in a way, and the UK in general and Ireland, it, kind of uniquely well-placed to host, maybe. 
Firstly, there's no shortage of large capacity stadiums besides Wembley. You know, even in London alone, you've got the Emirates Stadium, Olympic Park and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which are all 60k plus. Old Trafford is 74k plus. Um, and this is always obviously very important for a, for a tournament where you're going to have international fans and, and fans of huge, huge volumes. But it's going to be especially important this tournament, especially since we don't know how, you know, social distancing and things of that nature are going to come into play. If there's still, you know, half capacity or a third capacity, the effective size of the these tournaments is going to be greater the larger they are in reality um also on top of those london ones obviously there are grounds all over but we just had a joint statement today actually from the fa uh of uh, the fa's of the uk and ireland welcoming the government's pledge um of 2.8 million towards a bid for the 2030 world cup so already we've just seen the fa's are all in the same room they're all sort of coming together to work on something could it also be possible that they could work together on hosting the euros because if that's the case you can then also loop in um you know, Scotland and the Republic of Ireland that are already host nations. Uh, and although Wales got shut down when they submitted the Millennium Stadium for rotation, that could also come back into play. That's 74,500-seater as well. So there, there's a lot of good reasoning to have it in at least England and very possibly the UK and Ireland. Um, you know, numbers work. It's a massively football-crazy nation. If the logistics of getting all four nations involved hosting it would work properly, it could be really, really um, a really handy way to do it. Definitely. I mean, the infrastructure is absolutely there. I think um, the only small concern I can think of is that England's quite an expensive country. The the UK can be quite expensive in terms of uh, compared to other countries. So it could price out a lot of international fans. But apart from that, I mean, as you say, yeah, it's it's all there already um, for use. So I welcome it. Yeah, no, it should be absolutely fantastic. And obviously, we t- we record this in England. We are both very biased to it being in England, so we hope <laughs> it is the case. Um, but, <laughs> you know, we'll see. Uh, wrapping us up with uh, settling the score and guessing game, I'm going to ask that we do the first round of setting the score first, because I am still... I-, I had some ideas on your guessing game, but it's, it's thrown me back and forth a bit. <laughs> <laughs> good okay well do you know what? I'm quite happy about that because you just kind of took it in your stride and I was really hoping it was going to be a bit of a puzzler and as I said I was quite excited about it and you were like okay cool let's move on um so I'm glad to hear that it's making you think at least I was, I was very confident when it started and then it's sort of the first clue I, I was like oh, okay I've got a good player in mind and then as soon as you said that the second uh, the second clue I was like oh god Good. Okay. Well, um, yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's move into settling the score. Joe, you know I'm really enjoying the fact that it's not 20 games each week at the moment. Um, that was definitely a, a lot to get through with our settling the score each week. Um, starting off with Manchester City, who took on West Ham and beat them 2-1. We both predicted a little bit more of a, a one-way show, with me going for 3-0 to City and you going for 2-0. You being the closer, you take the point. West Brom versus Brighton. We both went for 1-0s. You went for a Brighton 1-0. I, however, backed the big man, Big Sam, and went for 1-0 West Brom, which is what the score was. So I get three points there. Leeds versus Aston Villa. I predicted 1-0. You predicted 1-1. It was 1-0 to Villa, not to Leeds. So you will take that point because you are closer on goals. Newcastle Wolves was a tie for us. The final score was 1-1. I predicted 1-0 to Wolves. You predicted 2-1 to Wolves. So both a goal off there. Crystal Palace versus Fulham. I predicted 1-1. You predicted 2-1. It was 0-0. Neither of us were very close, but I was 
very slightly less not close. Um, so I will will take the point on that one. Uh, Leicester versus Arsenal was our next one. Uh, I went for 2-0, you went for 2-1, but it was actually an Arsenal win, which was uh, maybe one of the most surprising results of the game week, uh, and you will take that one. Uh, Tottenham versus Burnley, we both thought it was going to be a Tottenham win with no reply, but both undersold them, me a little less at 3-0 to your 2-0, with the final result being 4-0, so I'll take a point there. Chelsea versus United, yet again we both predicted a high-scoring game, despite talking about how much United love a big game, 0-0. Uh, you 2-2, yeah. me 2-1. We just, we just me, don't listen to our own stuff, do we? We just don't. Uh, the final result was nil-nil, so that'll go to me. Um, Sheffield United versus Liverpool, you got exactly correct at 2-0, so three points for you there. And finally, Everton versus Southampton, uh, I had predicted 2-0, you had predicted 2-1, and it was 1-0, so I'll take a point there. But it is unfortunately not enough to prevent me losing 7-5. Yeah, you know what? Liverpool, they do love a good 2-0 win. I feel like that is, that's quite a standard... Uh response for them as well as more you know sometimes they get three ones four ones but two nil is pretty uh middle of the road yeah. for the reds uh before we go into next week's seven squad looking at guessing game so I, i've got i've got like a an idea i'm gonna talk through it because maybe it'll help but when you said the first player to have played for England without having lived in the uk the first two players my mind went to were um eric dyer and raheem sterling and obviously raheem sterling actually grew up but you, you do mean the senior team right just to be sure you mean the senior i team. mean the senior team so yeah the first player i thought of was maybe eric dyer and i was like i can't remember where did he because i knew he lived in lisbon for a time obviously played for sporting i was thinking like did he grow up there but then i was absolutely dashed immediately when you said that in his first season he won the the top flight champions league and premier league um then looking at the players that you've listed here as well as the fact that they've won the double this player has to have played for Manchester United, and then either one of Manchester City or Liverpool, maybe both, um, which is another thing that sort of led me back to Raheem Sterling. Do, and so, so I now know it isn't Raheem Sterling, but that's, that's... Who's played for Man United and Manchester City? I'm just trying to think of players who are maybe like a little bit older as well because you've played with Ashley Cole. Do, do you have a clue for me or a fourth hint or anything? Um, do I have a fourth clue for you? I didn't. Um, I can have a, a little think about. Um, yeah, okay. I can give you. I can give you one more player that he played with. Okay. See if it helps. Uh, he also played with Lucas Podolski. Um. Jesus, I mean, <laughs> the fact they didn't live in England doesn't help me there at all. Uh, I, I have no clue, I'm afraid. No clues. Um, so, okay, do, do you give up? Yeah, I give up. I'll, I'll, I'll concede. Oh, commiserations, Cam. So um, my goal was, with those players, to give you a player that um, played for every um, English club that's won the Champions League in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Liverpool. Um, Michael Owen actually did um, left Liverpool the season before they won the Champions League, but I was hoping that you wouldn't know that. Um, Danny Welbeck at Man U. Milner most recently with Liverpool in 2018, and then Ashley Cole in 2011-2012. So I was trying to throw you for one by giving you every single English Premier League team that has won the Champions League. Um, <laughs> it is in fact Owen Hargreaves. 
Oh, that is a good... Oh, you know what, Ern Hargreaves? He is a, the kind of player that's so memorable, but also so forgettable. Because he's just injured all the time. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, the other thing that I was tempted to give a clue about, just because it's so, you know memorable for, for who he was as a player he, he's probably the only player that I can think of that once posted videos on YouTube to prove to a club that he was fit enough to be signed which prompted him to be signed by Man City in 2010 or 11 I believe um, but I thought that that would be too big of a giveaway I was wondering if you would get the Podolski one because I thought yes it maybe pushed you slightly more towards Arsenal but it also kind of went back to Bayern Munich where he started his career Mm, um, yeah. So I don't want to make it too easy for you based on the fact that I think you've kind of erred on the side of making things harder than easier, but I wanted it to still be easy. So, oh, no, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm as happy to be stumped as I am to win it. Uh, well, I hope that some of you at home were a little luckier, um, knew a little bit more about football than our, <laughs> our resident Cam. <laughs> Um, uh, looking at the rest of our games from settling the score, um, we start off with. Oops, sorry, I just get my fixture list up here. We start off with Man City versus Wolves. What have you gone for? Man City versus Wolves. I actually found quite a difficult one because I wasn't sure if Wolves are going to score or not. I think I'm going to go for a a, a two nil. I'd City. also gone for a two nil. Tell you what, I'll go for a three nil. Okay. I can, I'm happy to go for a 2-1 so that neither of us are, are happy with our choices. All right, sounds good to me. Uh, then we have Burnley versus Leicester. I think this is a 2-0 to Leicester. See, you say that, but then Burnley are looking to bounce back and Leicester also are looking to bounce back. So it really could go either way. I'm going to say, I think Leicester will pip it, but 2-1. All right. Sheffield United versus Aston Villa. This is one of those where I just think Sheffield United... It's just another hard L. Villa haven't really been like pissing about that much. And even though they've not got Jack Grealish, that's maybe all the more reason for them to try and get three points here. So I think, again, 2-0. I'm going to say 1-0. Uh, I'm going to go slightly rogue with Palace United. I think this is going to be one of those games where everyone is simping for Solskjaer at the end of it. I'm going to say 5-1 United. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say that Palace win 2-1 or something. No. Um, I, I'm going to say 2-1 to United. Uh, West Brom versus Everton. I'm going to call that 3-1 to Everton. Reasonable. I am going to say 1-0 to Everton. Nice. Fulham versus Tottenham, uh, I think is going to be 2-0 Tottenham. I want, I want to say there's going to be an upset here, but I don't think there will be. I, I think it feels like, despite our uh, assertions last week that Jose Mourinho's time was up, kind of feels like the... The train's starting to rumble on again at, at Spurs with the uh, you know resurgence of players like Gareth Bale. So I, I'm going to say 3-0. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea. I think it's going to be a 1-1. I think it's one team on the way up and another team on the way down, but I don't think either of them is going to... I don't think Chelsea will pounce for the jugular, and maybe they should. I I think Chelsea might pip this. But I, also, I, I think it's going to be a 1-0 either way. Um but then it often always ends as a 2-1 for um, Liverpool versus Chelsea. So I'm going to say 1-0 to Chelsea. Okay. Uh, looking at game week 27, Burnley versus Arsenal. I think Arsenal are coming back a little bit. Burnley, I know you said a bouncy bat, but I think Arsenal have this 3-1. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, I'm going to say 1-1 because I just feel like whenever Arsenal look like they're doing better, they do worse again. 
Sheffield United versus Southampton. This, I do think Sheffield United will, will get a chance because Southampton, conversely, are a bit of a team that like being the pissing around a bit uh, sometimes. So this is 1-1. One, one. Nice. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to say 2-1. To Southampton. To Southampton. Uh, Villa are going to beat Wolves 2-0. That's a, it's a big claim you got there, friend. I think it's going to be 1-1. One, one. And Brighton will lose to Leicester 2-0. I think it's going to be nil-nil. West Brom and Newcastle is what I'm going to say is a nil-nil. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's reasonable. I'm going to go for another another Big Sam masterclass, one-nil West Brom. <laughs> the masterclass, one-nil. Um, <laughs> Liverpool versus Fulham, I'll just say 3-1 to Liverpool. Yeah, it, it does seem to have that, that air about it. I'm going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. And then Man City versus Man United. I'm finally not going to say like 3 3. I'm going to say 1-0 to Man City. I am going to say. Oh, I, I really would love it to just be like a 3 2 thriller. Um, Don't fall in the trap. I, re- I, I, I could feel myself being drawn into it. Um, I'm going to go for 3 1 City. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tottenham versus Palace, I'm going to say 2-1 Tottenham. Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, again, sometimes Tottenham do get frustrated by these these London clubs like Palace and, and West Ham. Um, I am going to say 1-0 to Tottenham. Uh, Chelsea-Everton, I think Chelsea are going to win 2-1. Yeah, fair enough. I can see that happening. I'm going to say... Uh, ooh, ooh, uh, one one. And last we have West Ham versus Leeds. I'm gonna say that is one one. I'm gonna say two one to West Ham. Great, believing in the hammers. Uh, that about wraps us up for this week. Rupert, great to talk to you as always. Cam, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone at home for listening. Catch you next time. Cheers, guys. Bye. Armchair Analysts was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The editing was done by Raphael Swiderski, and the artwork was provided by our good friend Amshaw.